Okay, Joshua chapter 4. Anybody read it? Did you? Good, good, good. Well, then this, my, my little thing of rock should not be a surprise. So if you didn't read it, it's probably a surprise. If you did read it, there, you maybe start drawing some, uh, some ideas where I'm going with it. Um, but let me, let me just start. They, uh, they, 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 they have and they are in the process of crossing the Jordan into the promised land. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from white, right where the priests stood, uh, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Uh, let, me, let me stop right there. Um, we tend to read this chronologically. And so when we read, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and do the whole thing. It, it, it's not likely that, that that's chronological, like, like that's chronological to how the events happened. It's not likely that, you know, three million people cross, and the priests are still standing there. And then God said, oh, by the way, Joshua... Go get 12 guys. Tell them to go back. Get some stones. Uh, we, it's written. We read it chronologically. But, but, that, but, but this right here, when God told, had told Joshua, choose 12 men, that probably happened before they went across. And so just understand, it's not like they're going back and doing this. Um, the Lord uh, said to Joshua, um, to, you know, have the guys do this. And so it's likely as they, like they knew who they were, Joshua already chose them. Whether they're going across, they pick up a stone. And, and that's just a little bit of uh, Bible knowledge for you there. But the key thing to that in verse 1 is the Lord said to Joshua. If you look in verse 1, it says the Lord said to Joshua. And then if you look at uh, verse, uh, what is that, 8, it says the Lord said to Joshua. And then if you look at verse 10, the Lord had commanded Joshua. And then you look at verse 15. The Lord said to Joshua, over and over and over in the book of Joshua, in the beginning, especially in verse 4 or chapter 4, we see the Lord said to Joshua, the Lord commanded Joshua, the Lord said to Joshua, the Lord commanded Joshua, all through this. It, it, it's as if God through the writer wants us to know uh, th- that, that Joshua was under the direct command of God. Like he wasn't doing stuff on his own. He wasn't thinking of what to do. He wasn't like, okay, I'm in charge. How am I going to run my administration? Uh, I'm in charge. What's the best way to do this? How can I figure this out? He, he said, God put me in charge after Moses. Now, I'm going to listen to God. And whatever God says, that's what I'm going to do. And so, and so don't miss that phrase the Lord said to Joshua. It's to draw our attention that Joshua was listening to the Lord and didn't do anything that wasn't first commanded by the Lord. There's a lesson in that for us, right? There's a lesson in that for us. Mm-hmm. Keep doing the same thing that God told you to do and don't do anything different until till he tells you something different. You learned that from Moses. He did learn that from Moses, yeah. <laughs> uh, and one of the things that, that, uh, that people ask me, you know, I don't, as a pastor, you know, what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? And my, my, my response oftentimes is, don't do anything until you know God's told you something. And if God hadn't told you something, just keep doing the last thing he told you to do. Uh, we get into trouble when we start trying to, you know, run in front of God, right? 
Uh, and, and so over and over and over, and we'll come back to this idea in a minute in, in like part two of it, but, but I want you to notice that Joshua simply followed the instructions of the Lord. As he's like, okay, I don't know. God said it. We're going to do it. So have you ever seen a little bumps way back in the day, all the church people? God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You ever see that? Yeah, that's great until you realize that's ridiculous. God said it, that settles it. Doesn't matter if we believe it or not, right? It's, it's like, Josh's like, I don't know. He said step in. I, what, let's just do it. Uh, so God said it, that settles it. And that's how Joshua was leading this whole thing. Pick 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan uh, and, and, uh, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Um, we'll get into this in a little bit, but let's just talk, like, Why? Why 12 stones? Why put them down where you stay? 12 tribes. 12 tribes. Mm-hmm. Why else? That's why the number 12, certainly. Remembrance. Absolutely, remembrance. To remember God's activity. Um, something that's, and we'll talk about it because like, it, it, it gets really profound later in the chapter, but right off the bat, um, all through Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, God tells his people to build memory points. Uh, it's really important, and, and it's a lesson we need to learn really well as well in our lives and for our families. Brenda, I love the fact that you wrote a book for your kids about how God, how you've seen God work it's in your life. Like, you know. Well, I understand. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's, 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 it's memory points. Um, and that's what God's saying is that you pick up this rock. Let this be a memory point. The reason 12, because 12 tribes, because every tribe has got to remember what God did for the 12 tribes, for them and their, and their, and their heritage. Um, we'll talk about more of that later, but just keep that in mind as we go through this. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future... When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Jordan. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Uh, these stones were memory points. And I don't want you to miss this. Uh, they were signs of gratitude. They were the people's signs of gratitude to the Lord. Uh, they, were sign, they, they were memory points of signs to, be, uh, to remain faithful for what God had done, or to remain grateful for what God had done. Every time they looked at these rocks, remember when, remember when, remember when. He was so good of God, too, because he didn't have to. Remember when we had no idea how this was going to happen, then God provided Remember when we were at a, 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 a no impasse and then all of a sudden there was a way. Remember when there was the need and God intervened. Remember when. Both as to remember what God had done and to remind them to be grateful for what he had done. Um, and I love the fact that he says these things will, be a, will serve as a sign to you. Um, I, I, I won't ask for any show of hands, but I just wonder... How many signs we have in our lives and in our homes 
to remind ourselves and our children of all the things that God has done. We love signs. We got signs for our favorite football team, for our favorite bands, for our favorite cars, for our favorite hobbies. We got signs all over the place. How many of us have thought through, I need to make sure that my home, my office, my whatever, has signs of God's faithfulness, of his provision, of his intervention, and my gratefulness to that. Right? It, 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 when, when we stop and think about what they did, how they did it, why they did it, it ought to cause us a little bit of pause to say, how am I emulating this in my life? How am I emulating this in my home with my children, with my grandkids? Uh, how, how am I emulating this? How, how, do, how do people know God's story in my life? Like there ought, we, let me just encourage if you haven't done this yet, start. If, if, if you haven't done this yet, start. Something that tells stories of God's provision, of God's intervention, of God's miracle, of God's work, somehow start telling stories through signs that people see. Make them so that people say, what, what's with this? Why, why do you have a jar of rocks? Do you understand what I'm saying? We got signs for everything else we love in this world. What? Um... It will serve as a sign. In the future, I, I, I love what, what, what's on these pages. In the future, when your children ask you, we, we've got to remember that um, God's story and our life has got to be transmitted to our family so that we create generational gratitude. We, we, we need to make sure that we get, we got God's story and signs of God's stories on our lives so that we create, it's what I call generational gratitude. That, that generations coming after us, our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids, know God's story of what God has done in our lives. I'm so thankful that I know the story of my grandparents Looking back how God worked in their lives, saved my grandpa, changed their marriage. Um, I'm so thankful that I know the story of my parents' faith and, and, my, my, and, and God's miraculous saving of my father multiple times in Vietnam. Uh, and, and whenever they tell these stories, it's never, things just worked out great. I have no idea how that happened. It's always, it's always. Things didn't just happen. We see God's hand. We saw God's hand in this point, in this point, in this point, in this point, in this point. So I, I, I grew up knowing that there was a God who was involved. And, and my parents, I'm so thankful for that. But, but, but think in terms of what are the signs in our lives, in our homes, um, that tell our family, just whomever, um, about God's goodness and his provision and his work and that create generational gratitude. It's very, very important. And he says, the, these rocks will serve as a sign. In, future gener- in, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Uh, tell them, the foil of Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. 
When it crossed the Jordan, when the ark crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Um, there's another reason why the people of Israel were told to get stones. One, as a memory tool. Two, to tell the story to create generational gratitude. But the other reason, the third reason is this. Because God does not repeat specific miracles. He continues to do miracles, but he never does. I've talked about this. He never does the same thing with the same one twice in the same way. Like he might restore sight to blind people, but he never does it the same way every time. Right? So far, God's gotten people across two two, two bodies of water. Did he do it the second time like he did the first time? Not at all. But he still did the miracle of getting across, but he did it differently, right? And so one of the reasons why they're told to get stones as, as memory stones is because the specific miracles will not be repeated. And so, and so they have to tell them so other people can experience them. Like God is the God who gets us through. This is the way he did it for us. He's going to do something different from, but it's going to get you through. This is how it worked or looked for us. You will never experience it the way I did. God is too big for everybody to experience him the exact same way every time. He's too big. And so what I know is that God, he got me across. I got this stone to remember that. And I know you got to get across. I don't know how he's going to do it for you, but I was going to. You, you understand what I'm saying? Um, so the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took, to tw- they took the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp uh, where they put them down. Now, the phrase that we started with that we wanted to remember and, and notice in this chapter was what? The Lord told Joshua. God, the Lord commanded Joshua. So the, 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 the process goes like this. The Lord told Joshua. Joshua then, what? Told the people. And the people did what Joshua said. That, that's how verse 8 starts. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. This is the pathway of blessing. God speaks to someone, to the leader. The leader tells the people, and they obey. That's how this goes. And every time God spoke to Joshua, and when Joshua told the people, and the people did what God said through Joshua, it was they were successful. Every time. Uh, and so... So this is what this is what we see in, in 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 Joshua over and over. God leads Joshua. Joshua leads the people. The people obey, and it's successful. See, it's real easy when 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 we're listening to the Lord and we're following what the Lord says. You know, churches work really really well when the the the, the pastors listening to God. The churches don't work very well when pastors not listening to God. And there's a lot of churches out there like that. Uh, and, 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 and so when church will work really, really well, when God speaks to the pastor, the pastor speaks to the people and the church obeys. 
Matter of fact, I can't think of one church where God has spoken to the leader, the leader speaks to the people, the people, I can't think of one instance when that has ever gone, when anything's ever gone wrong. I know a lot of instances when uh, the pastor wasn't listening to God and told the people stuff, and it didn't go very well. And I know a lot of instances when the pastor was listening to God and told the people, and the people didn't obey. And that doesn't go very well. Uh, but I've never known any church work where God speaks to the person he put in charge. They tell the people that are fine, and then they obey. It always, it always, it always goes well. Always. And we see it over and over in Scripture. That's the pattern throughout the, throughout the book of Joshua. They carry them over, verse 8, uh, and, and with them to their camp where they had put them down. Verse 9, Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. I remember when I was young, I would... I was reading the Bible, and I, uh, whatever it said on there, there to this day, I always ask my parents, is it really there right now? And they're like, no, when they wrote this, it was there to this day. It doesn't say it's there forever and, you know, forever and ever and ever until Jesus comes back, you know. But as of writing, as of writing, it was there to that day. Um, and if they are there to this day, nobody knows where they are. Uh, but I guarantee you, somewhere over there, someone's built a monastery and uh, and a, a tourist trap to say, "This is here. Look at these rocks; they're still stacked up." And well, give me a dollar, and I'll give you a pebble. You know. <laughs> so, anyway, verse ten. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything. What's the next phrase? The Lord, I commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over. <laughs> As soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord uh, and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The people hurried over. Why do you think they hurried over? (laughs) Obvious reasons, right? You're in flood stage. Who knows when this water is going to come back? I'm going to get to the point why they hurried over at at the end of this thing. So just just remember, they hurried over. Uh, One of the things... Uh, that we need to keep in mind, though, is that when God says to do something, just do it right now. Get it done with some expediency. There's no reason to lollygag. There's no reason to wait. There's no reason to just do it now and get it done. Uh, so they hurried over. Let me, let, let's go to verse 12. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. Um, are any of you familiar with, with, with the, story, the back story of this, uh, of verse 12 and 13? Numbers 32. If you go back in Numbers 32, and we're not going to take time to read through the whole thing, but in Numbers 32, we referenced this, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks ago. But as the people were crossing, were, 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 were leaving Egypt and getting ready to go into the promised land, there were some tribes who didn't want to make the full journey. Remember how we talked about how some of them settled for kind of second best and like, this, we've gone far enough, we're good, we'll stay here. Well, Numbers 32 is the account of that. And in verse 20, Moses said to them, if, I'll, I'll let you stay here and not go with us if you do this. 
if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all of you will go armed, uh, will go armed over the Jordan before the Lord until He has driven His enemies out before Him, then the land. Uh, then when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel, and this land will be your possession before the Lord. So what's happening here in Joshua 4 is the fulfillment of that agreement that they made with Moses back in Numbers 32. They said, we'll let you stay there as long as all the guys who can fight go with us and make sure that as we cross, because we're going into enemy territory... The Jordan River was a line of demarcation. That was like on the one side, there were no enemies. On the other side, it was all enemies. And so, so, so Moses had the foresight through, through the Spirit to say, look, we'll let you say, as long as when we cross, we know there's going to be battles to fight. Y'all get your weapons and you go in front of us to make sure that we can cross, that we can cross this thing. And so... So this is this is the realization of that. They forty thousand of them armed for battle. They cross over before the Lord of Plains, Jericho for war. Um, thankfully, when they were crossing, there was nobody waiting for them, and so they didn't have to go to war right then. But uh, those guys will be important um, in verse five, uh, because in verse five, um, Joshua has the men do something that is not very strategic if you're surrounded by a bunch of enemies who uh, could challenge you in a fight. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we're not going to cut to that part right now, <laughs> but uh, we'll dissect it next, next week. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, verse 14. Yeah, you finally read the headline and thought, oh, I see where he's going with this. Uh, verse 14, that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him all the days of his life, just as they had revered Moses. This is very similar to Exodus 14.31. Exodus 14.31 says pretty much the exact same thing about Moses, that God exalted him, and when God sets up and exalts, the people revere. Uh, and, and that's what happened to Moses and to Joshua. Interesting thing. That happened with Moses and Joshua. And the most holy, revered one of all, Jesus the Christ, was not at all revered by his people. Right? Um, I don't know what to make of that. It's just an interesting, it's just an interesting conundrum. Um, I guess if he was, well, I guess he was exalted at the triumphal entry uh, at the beginning of the week. Hosanna, Hosanna, blesses you who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Yeah, I guess he was exalted then, riding on the, the colt, the full of a donkey. That the on, Only kings and princes rode donkeys. <coughs> Military commanders were, rode horses. And so he rode in as the, as the reigning king, and they honored him. So maybe that's when he was exalted. Uh, but very soon, very soon thereafter, uh, completely despised and rejected. Uh, but in this case, God set... Joshua up, the people revered him as they had revered Moses. Verse 15, look at what it says. Then what? And the Lord said to Joshua. They want to continue hammering home the point. Listen, Joshua's not going out on his own. He's listening to the Lord, and then he's just telling people, just do what the Lord says. It'll go well. We might not understand it. We might not get it. It might not make sense. It doesn't matter. God said this. Now let's just do this. I wonder... 
uh, how many times we have heard the word of the Lord and thought, well, I don't know, though. That really makes sense. Like, <laughs> seems kind of hard. <laughs> see, right, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it... I don't know if it still applies. I don't know if that's that's like the Bible. I'm not like, I'm a fan. I'm not a fanatic. So maybe I don't have to, you know. Um, or maybe you got a bad Bible. Maybe you got a bad Bible. And it's, if you got a bad Bible, it'll get you a good Bible. Because um, if you got a good Bible, every time someone obeyed God, it went pretty well. And so let's just, Let's just uh, maybe make a personal mental note that when we read something in Scripture, hear something taught, when we know that thus saith the Lord, it's in the Bible, um, to do it. Right? It amazes me how many churches try to have discipleship programs and maturity tracks and classes. And honestly, it, you know, spiritual maturity is really easy. God says something in the Bible, just do it. All of a sudden, you're mature. Right? I mean, is it more complicated than that? The complicated part is knowing that God said it. No, it's not. If it's in a Bible, it's it's really easy. It's really easy. Yeah, I just, I mean, what? So let's take an adolescent. How do you know a kid is immature? His behavior. His behavior. He doesn't listen to you. Argues with you. Right. I remember when I was little, my my grandparents lived in Eureka. And it was an old two-story house. And it was the kind with the furnace and the grates on the floor that would heat up and, and you know, on the bottom floor and all the heat. And I remember my parents told me all the time, don't step on that grate. Don't step on the grate. Time. Don't step on the grate. I'm like, whatever. I'm like, I can step on whatever I want to step on. I might have been in second grade. And I remember stepping on the grate when it was hot. Yeah. Now, was I mature or immature? Very immature, right? We all have those stories growing up. Don't do this. I can do what I want. Um, what's a sign of maturity? Listening. Yeah. Not stepping on the grave. Yeah, not stepping <laughs> on the grave. Like realizing I don't know everything and you might know more than me. So I'm going to, okay, it makes sense. I'm going to do what you say. Right? It's a sign of maturity. Same thing with God. It's real easy to be mature. God says do something in his word. Do it. You know, there's no, there's no discipleship track. There's no maturity classes. There's no great secret to it. It's really simple. If we know the Bible says something and we don't do it, that's immaturity. If you know the Bible says something to do it, all of a sudden we're mature. Pretty simple, right? I was talking to one of my coaches at, uh, at practice today, and he's just getting into the you know, learning about the Bible and, and he wants, he's thinking about getting into ministry and all this stuff. And he's, he's trying to learn things like the Mosaic covenant. And, and, uh, sometimes he pronounces the, the Mysiac covenant and, uh, Mysiac, is that the Italian covenant? I'm not, uh, it just said like, he, like he's, I, I love it cause he's just hungry. He just wants to learn it all, you know? Um, and, uh, he was talking to me today about, um, 
when God said, at the, he said, when, 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 uh, when Moses was at the burning brush. Yeah. So what? I said, the bush? Yeah, 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 the burning bush. The burning bush. He said, and God said, I am, I, I am. And uh, like we're studying, like, what does that mean? I am. I said, well, it's real simple. He said, I am. I am. I'm the self-contained God. I, there's nothing outside of me. It's the tetragrammaton is what we call it. Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. He said, yeah, but there's this one guy who uh, started talking about it. It doesn't probably mean that. It means probably something else. And started reciting all of this research. And all. I said, listen, don't make it hard. It's really easy. And I told him, I said, here's the problem. Educators take something simple and make it complex. Teachers take something uh, complex and make it simple. It's really simple. Like maturity is about, oh, does the Bible say that? Okay, I guess I'll do that. And all of a sudden, you're mature. It's, it's really not complex. And so I love the fact that at this point with God's people, God said this, Joshua communicated to us, and we did it. Um, then the Lord said to Joshua, command the priest carrying the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest to come up out of the Jordan. <laughs> I just love this. So God said, Joshua, do this. And so Joshua did it. And the priest came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant. Um, uh, the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground then the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. We're going to come back to this in a minute. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. Gilgal became like the, uh, the, the HQ uh, of, of, of the Hebrews as they're going into the promised land. For, it, was, it was the headquarters for quite a while. Uh, and and uh, pay attention to verse 20 in the rest of the chapter. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers. Oh, let me stop right there. I love the way Joshua talks to his people because notice what he's doing. He's, he's, he's casting vision to them. He says, listen, you're going to have a future. Like, like I, I'm calling you into the future. You, It's going to happen in the future. When your children ask you, you're going to have a heritage. God has not brought you out here to do away with you. He's not brought you out here to abandon you. He has not forgotten about you. He's not forgotten about your family. He's not forgotten about your unborn children. He's not forgotten about your unborn grandchildren. Like you will have a future. That's one thing. Like he's calling them to a future. One thing to note that, that I, I know about leadership is leaders call people into a, future, into a preferred future. It's never about right now, the end of right now. It's always about a preferred future. And so as all of you have leadership in some area of your world, realize part of, your, a part of the job of a leader is to call people into a preferred future, to cast a vision. This is not the end of it. There's more coming. And it's exactly what you're hoping. And so in the future... Um, when your descendants ask their fathers, I also love the fact that he assumes fathers are going to be with their families. 
and that those kids or those families are going to have a relationship with their father so much they'll talk to him. That's a pretty important thing. Um, I just love the vision he's casting for the people. What do these stones mean? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. I love the fact. Now, now realize, he, he's telling the people, he's two, saying two things here. He's saying to the people who experienced the miracle, he's saying the Lord your God did this. Remember this. These stones remind you of this. Remember this. He's telling the people who did it, don't forget this. These stones will remind you of what God did. They're signposts. But he's also communicating to the other generation that didn't experience this. You're part of this. Your God did this. Not our God. Your God did this. He's including the generations to come in God's current activity. I love that about his words. The Lord your God did, uh, did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until he had crossed over. Okay, now wait a minute. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. How many of those who crossed the Jordan were part of the first group that crossed in the Red Sea? That whole generation died. Now realize this. When he says, the Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before whom? Before us until what? Who's he talking to? Just he and Caleb? The two that were part of it? No, he's talking to the whole assembly. Why? They were kids. Some of them were, but some of them weren't even born yet. Right. But some of them, as kids, would have experienced it. The kids would have experienced it. Now, they're adults, but there's a lot more there than just those, right? He's including the entire nation. Right? The two adults, Caleb and Joshua, the children weren't. So they're growing up hearing the story, maybe or maybe not. But you got a whole generation of people who weren't even born when they, when they crossed the Red Sea. But they were part of the nation that crossed. But what he's saying is, our God did this for us. Like, understand, the kingdom economy is not that God did that for them. God did that for us. Like, we're part of this thing. We're part of this thing. Like, he's given them, a, he's expanding their understanding of the kingdom of God. When God did this for us, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that You might always fear the Lord your God. Two reasons. There's a reason for those outside of us and there's a reason for us inside. Two reasons. One, so everybody out there will know uh, that the hand of the Lord is powerful. 
Like, they're going to hear our story. And we have signposts that we can tell how powerful God is. But the testimony to those outside needs to be about the power of God. The the testimony of those who don't know God needs to be about the power of God. And the only way people know the power of God is that we tell the stories of God's power. Right? That are commemorated by our signposts. I didn't bring it. I almost did, but I left it home. We have another glass jar. I'll talk about that one in a minute, but we have another glass jar at home. And I've told you before what's in it. There's different things in it. One of them is a, um, is a fabric tape measure um, because we used to measure Wyatt's head when he was little because he, he looked like an alien baby <laughs> because he had hydrocephalus. Uh, and when it was first diagnosed, there's two different types of hydrocephalus. There's a type that you have to, the fourth ventricle in the brainstem closes. And so all the cerebral, brain, uh, cerebral spinal fluid accumulates in the head and the skull gets really, really large and it, it, it squishes the brain. And so they put a stunt in, uh, or a, a shunt in, and it goes from the brainstem down into the, into the chest cavity so the fluid can drain. And, 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 and up until the mid-70s, there was a, I don't know, like a, I don't know, somewhere 60 or 80% death rate. And it's a you know, stunt. they got to do it you know, probably four times during the kid's life. And there's some, some uh, mental and physical deform, you know, deficiencies. And, and uh, you know, a, a normal life is not, a, a normal life is not real likely. The other kind of uh, hydrocephalus is that 18 months, the fourth ventricle pops open, fluid goes down, mm-hmm. and the body grows into the side of the size of the head. No effects whatsoever. And so when we were first diagnosed with this, um, I, was, I was measuring his head every day to see the growth rate of it. I went to a specialist at, at, uh, at Chalk Hospital, Orange County, um, Children's Hospital of Orange County, Chalk. It, it's a incredible, incredible children's hospital. Uh, and leading up to that appointment, uh, with the specialist, great fear, concern, and trepidation, and great pleading with God uh, on our son's behalf, and um, uh, and uh, we went to the uh, doctor's appointment, and uh, he held Wyatt upside down by his he- feet uh, because that's one of the tests you do. Because the brain is under such pressure, you hold them up under by their feet, and if it's immediately worse, it's like okay, there's a lot of pressure. It's just a way to. It's really weird. Anyway, he said he said um, he said uh, they did all these like they had to strap him down and uh, put him in the big neck thing and strap him on a deal and put him in this MRI there's CAT scan thing, uh, you know, and it, it was he was he was an infant, and you're strapping him down, you know, and you're trying to. It, 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 Convince an infant not to squeal, and yeah, it was just it was terrible. It was just terrible. All those tests, we go by go for the meeting. He said, "Okay, I, um, so he does have hydrocephalus, but he has the type that's going to open up at 18 months. Fourth ventricle pop up is going to be absolutely fine." 
And I'm like, are you sure? He said, yes, here's the latest information we have on it. This is the best information out there. And I know because I wrote it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, fantastic. But so in our little jar at home is a, is the, it's the uh, fabric tape measure that we measured his head with. And it's a signpost. And everybody in my family knows. Uh, in that, in that uh, jar is a, uh, one of Joe's uh, patches that he wore in his uniform when he was in Kuwait. Because it's a signpost that, that God took care of our son. Uh, we have all kinds of little things in there. There's a flip side sticker. Because it's a signpost of what God has done. There's all kinds of little things in there. Um, there's the, the rose that Caleb gave Shelly. When, when the, the valedictorians at LHS, they get to give a rose to the educator that meant the most to them. Uh, in their in their education, and the vast I mean everybody gives it to their high school teachers because you know it's those four years, uh, and why and then Caleb Wyatt followed suit, um, unbeknownst to Shelby, um, gave it to his mom, uh, and it was a signpost because their whole high school had been about football and that was me, and I get to celebrate all that with them. Shelly was all about their education; they are who they are as intelligent young men because of their mother, not because of me. <laughs> and so it was a signpost to my wife, to their mom. We love you. We value you. We understand who you are and what you've done in our lives. It's just, that's just those. And so, and it, I don't know where I was going with that other than to say that, um, how are people going to know the power of God? And unless we tell them, right. And that's what these signposts did. And that's, well, that's how people know. But those signposts are for another reason that we who know the story, who live the story, would always fear the Lord. We already saw his power. We don't have to be told about his power. Like we lived it. What we have to do is because of that power, live in the fear of the Lord our God. What, Richard? What's your Bible say? <laughs> worship. So uh, is worship okay. in, in fear? Of Absolutely. Well, here, here's, here's how it is. That word fear is the Hebrew word yari. Okay? That word means to stand in awe of. So it's not, there's another fear, aom, which means terror. And that's not this word. So it doesn't mean that you may be in terror of God, obviously. But it means that because you've seen the power of God and have lived the power of God, because that's been exhibited in your life, because of that, now you stand in awe and reverence of that powerful God. Worship. Yeah. So, so those signposts, Serve to tell others who have not experienced the power of God that God is a powerful God. And because I've experienced that, those signposts remind me that I'm to live in awe of that God who is all-powerful. Does that make sense? So there's a dual reason there. Um, 
And I love the fact that, again, in this verse, he did this so that the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you, he's talking about you perpetually, not just you in this moment. But he's saying you, your family, and the generations to come will stand and live in the awe of God, the fear of God. So that's chapter four. But I want to get back to this one. um, I got a little bit of time. Um, The crossing of the Jordan. Um, Have you ever heard of of when the, the walls of Jericho, when they fell down, about what caused them to fall down? Have you heard reasons about that? Like scientific reasons? Just reasons. Sound waves. Sound waves. Earthquake. Earthquake. Yeah. Um, Does it matter? No. Mm -mm. Um, In my studies, I came across this I want to share with you. It's possible that a landslide that was caused by an earthquake back in this area stopped the flow of the Jordan River up at the town called Adam. That earthquake happened, landslide, stopped the water. That's very possible. Um, landslides are pretty common around uh, the banks of the Jordan. It's pretty soft clay. And do we know of at least two landslides that resulted to, to, to earthquakes slash landslides that resulted in the damming up of the Jordan River that are actually recorded in history. One of them is in AD 1267. The other one that we know was in 1927. And get this, in 1927, a landslide occurred near the town of Adam where biblically this happened in Jericho's, in Joshua's time. That's where it said the water's piled up. And in 1927, a landslide happened because it was dammed up right at that very town. Um, And it stopped the flow of the river for about 21 hours. Almost an entire day. Enough time to get hordes across the river. The interesting thing is the Jordan Valley lies among um, one of the major fault lines of the Earth's surface. And there's great scientific evidence, uh, as they've done evacuations, about massive earthquakes around the town of Jericho. And so the idea that there was an earthquake that caused the walls to crumble is a Scientifically, it would make great sense. But aside from all that, Judges 5, verses 4 and 5. Right after the book of Joshua, Judges 5, verses 4 and 5. Aside from what science might indicate... Genesis 5, verses 4 and 5. O Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched out from the land of Edom, what happened? 
The earth shook. The heavens poured. The clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. That's not just poetic language. Psalm 114. Psalm 114, this celebrates the crossing of the Red Sea and I think the crossing of the Jordan. When Israel came up out of Egypt, Psalm 114, verse 1, the house of Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and what? It ran away. The sea. The Jordan, what? Turn back. The parting of the Red Sea and the stopping of the waters of Jordan. What's the next verse say? Verse 4. The mountains skipped like rams and the hills like lambs. What is that? Isn't that an earthquake? Why was it, O sea, that you fled, O Jordan, that you turned back? You mountains that skipped like rams. You heels like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we think, oh, that's, that's a neat little poetic way of... It's cute. Uh, the Bible is not a cute poetic book. The Bible is a story of an awesome, powerful God who is worthy to be reverenced and held in awe. Um, it's very likely that an earthquake was responsible for the stopping up of the Jordan, uh, for the fall of the walls of Jericho. And to me, that makes no never mind if that's how God chose to do it. Because how incredible is it that there is a God that is that powerful that could time an earthquake to cause a landslide to stop a river? What? He also had to dry out the ground that they crossed. He also had to dry out the ground that he crossed. Yeah, it's just amazing to me. Um, one man named H. L. Ellison says that God uses the supernatural use of the natural. If He is Elohim, the Creator God, if He is El Elyon, the Most High Exalted God. If he is El Shaddai, the almighty sustainer, if he is Adonai, the master and Lord, all of creation is at his command, right? Mm -hmm. If there's not a leaf that falls from a, tree, from a tree or a sparrow that falls from the sky without his knowledge, certainly. And the thing that gets me is not is the power of God, but just not the power of God to be able to manage all that. But the thing that gets me, according to what we read in Scripture, in Judges, in Psalm, is that God's people attributed these things to God's hand. And we attribute them to nature or science or some other. Like, we do a really good job of taking God out of the miraculous. 
And they do a really good job of putting God's power in the middle of nature. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? And we say, well, now we know more about science. So we understand, you know, tectonic shifts and the fault lines and it's just part of how the earth releases gases. And like, like well, that, that's how we explain stuff. And that might be what happens. But we got to remember there's a God behind what happens. Who's orchestrating all of this stuff. You understand what I'm saying? Like, let's not fall out of awe of this powerful God that orchestrates times and seasons and economies and kingdoms. And if he's that powerful, he's also that powerful in and around our lives. And it's amazing to me that that kind of awesome God is so in love with you and in love with me and chooses out of mercy and grace because of his great love for us and loving kindness to intervene in our lives. How can we not set up signs? Every one of these rocks. Every one of these. I remember where we got this one. Oh, there's sand that fell out of it. <laughs> um, for years, Shelly, whenever we go on family vacations, excursions, anywhere, she has to get a rock. She has to get a rock because it commemorates that time, the moment, and she's either with family or friends. You've been with her, Jessica, right? Always rocks, right? It's always when she's with family or close friends that she gets a rock. And we have this and another bigger one full of rocks. Um, and they're signposts for her. God's been gracious. I get to have experiences with my family. I get to have experiences with my friends. I, I, he's given me health to get to do this stuff still. Um, and everybody that knows us knows those rocks are signposts for her of God's goodness, of his mercy and his grace, his provision, and how much he has blessed her. To me, they're just rocks. <laughs> That's a good memory. There's a lot of rocks there. I don't know that she could tell you where everyone came from. But that doesn't matter because what she sees in them is what it represents. Um, so, Joshua 4. I would encourage all of us to start establishing signposts and signs in our lives, in our homes, for ourselves, for our family, for our posterity. I, I love the booklet, can we call it, Brenda? Yeah. <laughs> I love the book. I, I told you before, I, I gave a book to my dad for him to 100 questions. And, and a lot of them had to do with before he was walking with Christ, how he, I know he wrote down for me how he came to know the Lord. And how it got real, really real when he was in Vietnam. That solidified it for him. And, and how his life changed when he got back. There's signposts. Uh, and I told my sons. That's, I've, I've read to them a little bit of it. And I've told them pretty soon you need to read about <coughs> Papa Randy. Signposts.
So, anyway, that's Joshua 4. And we'll cut to Joshua 5 next week. <laughs> 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 Questions, cries, shouts of outrage?